Hi, this is Ethan Gilsdorf, author of Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, and I am thrilled that you are listening to the Save or Die podcast. So and it's like our thing. I've got to make some snarky skills comment or something during the game now. Howdy do, folks. It's Save or Die, side adventure number eight. New year, new return to the hot tub. We are going to catch up on all our emails, at least to the beginning of 2015. Only be a, a month behind. Yeah, I came all prepared to do uh, the Emirates of Eurolurum, but Liz said we couldn't. Yep, I it's put all my foot fault. down. All like, her nope, fault. We're doing emails. As you know, this is the host monkey, DM Mike. <laughs> With me is the web monkey, DM Jim. Name level podcaster, DM Jim, reporting for duty. Ding! And the email monkey, DM Liz. Hello. So, which one of us would be the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil? Well, I'd be the see no evil, obviously. Uh. I want to be the one with the magic item hat that commands the monkeys. Hmm. And they must fly. <laughs> yeah, a flying monkey. But who carries the symbols? That's the important part. Well, don't everybody volunteer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I didn't want to take it from anyone else, but ah. I'll, I'll, I'll play the symbols. Okay. <laughs> well, as It's not like we didn't do a pre-show warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> True that, home slice. Oh, oh, oh. oh, dear. It's more fun when Walker's around. But anyway, as it says on the tin, we're covering emails. But first... What did we do at David this week? Who cares? Ow! What have we been doing in gaming this week? By the way, Jim, I like that new bumper you did. I'm going to lift what you just said and put it in the bumper because I am so sick of my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. And so... I mean, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you talk last, so what have you been doing? Who, me? Yeah, you. Oh, well, yeah, because I I, I have some idea of what your week in gaming involved. Uh. Our group gamed last night, but I was unable to attend thanks to deadlines and my continued exploration of caffeine substance abuse. But uh, that's the beauty of running your campaign like Gary ran Gayhawk. I, Gayhawk. <laughs> Greyhawk. <laughs> Greyhawk. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm editing that out. <laughs> 
This is going to be a banner episode. Yeah, you want bloopers? <laughs> oh, because because I I have a co-judge in uh, Judge James, and he ran the session for the mur- mutant murder hobos, and they had a great time, and I got to stay at home and uh, write and watch the Gary Khan server melt down when events registration opened, <laughs> which was oh. almost like being at a game. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about that after it happened because I was seeing people talk about it all over Facebook. It's like I was in the middle of registering. I hope they saved my stuff. You know? uh, was it second or third year in North Texas where they I think did it was that? The, I think it was the second year. Okay, um, I'm sure Bad Mike will correct us if we're wrong, but I I do remember that that something like that happened with North Texas one of the earlier years and the server just crashed like maybe a minute after people started you know piling on trying to register well as you already know but some people may not I joined the team with Luke and Dale this year as official art director for Gary Khan so I have some inside information and they had spent all this enormous amount of time money and effort in getting this, you know, ironclad server all ready for event registration. Best laid plans, right? Mm-hmm. But the uh, hosting service they went with, they were unaware, had a denial of service attack protection on their uh, network. And when they opened up event registration and everybody flooded in trying to get games, it thought it was having thought a denial attack. of service attack and, uh... and threw up the walls and banned all our IPs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so uh, events registration was open from... 4 p.m. to 4.03 p.m., <laughs> which was enough time for Michael Curtis's super secret uh, playtest event he's running both at GaryCon and North Texas Con, but at GaryCon for it to fill up completely. Wow. So, Impressive. So I, 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 I'm happy to shift the blame to Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More like a Dungeon Crawl Classics denial of service attack plus... You know, nothing helps a server that thinks it's under denial of service attack reboot faster than five or six hundred gamers sitting there hitting refresh constantly going, I got to get in my game, I got to get in my game. (laughs) But it was really tragic. Uh, You know, some of us were throwing up memes just to try and keep everybody uh, amused while they were trying. They first thought they could get the server back online. It probably will be by the time this airs. They they, they said Tuesday because they, after struggling with the new company they said you know screw you guys and they're moving everything to a different place but uh oh my gosh i found a photograph of this charred uh computer that had been caught on fire and put up a meme with the uh caption are you not entertained <laughs> <laughs> and you know people posting d20s with the one side facing up mm-hmm. it was tragic i mean it was I, the person i mainly feel sorry for was poor dale leonard because this this was his deal and and uh you know they did everything they could to 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 keep this from happening, and it happened anyway. Universe had a different idea. But remember, the computer wants you to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> computer is your friend. Right. It was a lot like a paranoia game <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> See, somebody? There's a there's a scenario waiting to be run at GaryCon right there. <laughs> if we were there, I'd do it. And I've never run par- paranoia before. So, while I was writing and watching servers meltdown, I hear you guys uh, went to a mini-con. Yeah, the North Texas people did another mini-con at their warehouse yesterday. And so, our 2E gaming group drove up, and we basically had our 2E game in, you know, at one of the tables in the warehouse. And 
other Next people the Circus Maximus game. Yeah, other people were playing Circus Maximus with the usual chariot carnage. Um, after that was done, all some other games got started up. Uh, Cthulhu Wars was played, and oh, I I actually got to see the minis that go with that game. Like it would be worth buying that game, even if you never intended on playing it. Just to get the Cthuloid monster minis and import <laughs> them into your Call of Cthulhu game or anything. Fantasy game. Or, yeah. Yeah, most anything. It's like they were huge. Cthulhu, was, the god you only summon once. That's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, and these things are just absolutely huge. You know, they're like maybe six inches tall, some of them. And I'm wow. you, you just imagine getting one of your old, you know, 25 mil or even the current 28 mil, you know, fantasy mini and just plunk down one of those right in front of it and watch your players just collectively wet their pants. <laughs> You're looking at Cthulhu's kneecap. <laughs> like, they're great. Um, so, yeah, we were there most of the day and... I'm insanely jealous. Though we oh. only got to play the 2E game. <laughs> we only got to play the 2E game. But, yeah, but it was fun. And we got to chat a little bit with um, a lot of the other people who came to have fun. And pizza and wings were ordered. And Zach also, was there, right? Yes, yep. Zach was there and playing in the in the chariot game. And Doug, Bad Mike. Yeah. The whole, the, the whole list of, of those held responsible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we played our 2E game, which at this point is really a Spelljammer game, and we're inside this massive Death Star slash Beholder weapon, running around different areas trying to destroy the various eye stalks to keep the super weapon from being used. You sound like you have a sneer in your tone, but that sounds <laughs> awesome to me. No, no, no. Actually, I was going to get to the point of, and each eye is kept in one little kind of sub-world, and we end up going into a Prius, and it's based on the eye. So, the charm animal's eye was in this big uh, jungle area, and we get attacked by a Tarzan guy with the eye in his chest, and he's flying up on these wyverns, and in the middle of the game, Chase gets out his phone and starts playing the heavy metal theme. From the movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, ah! <laughs> now, to add insult to injury, though, for this game session, um, we're in this little jungle world, and there are these amphitheaters scattered throughout the area. And at one, we land in one of them, and the disembodied voice that we find out later is, you know, Tarzan boy on the wyvern, but tells us that, you know, we need. We have to fight and, you know, for his amusement if we want to be worthy to meet him. We're and like, hey. <laughs> how'd that go it, over? <laughs> well, Chase sends out, and I am not making this up, a huge flock of dire parakeets. <laughs> dire and we're Eric. throwing fireballs, <laughs> lightning bolts, and, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like we're only taking, okay, one-tenth of it's gone. What? <laughs> These things are teeny-weeny, and so you can maybe take out a chunk of this gigantic flock that's coming at us, and then when they break apart, you know, they're no longer in a big cloud. So we're, we have all these negatives to even hit these teeny-weeny little things, but... 
they're dire parakeets, so they can hit us and you know slash they're only doing at one us. point of damage, but, but there's, there's a billion, a of, billion them. of them. Yes, <laughs> we wound up running away. <laughs> we our asses. We fled. Although we did chop it down below fifty percent. I mean, we, we we did. They knew they had been in a parakeet fight. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I can't, can't believe I just said that. I can't decide which is more embarrassing. The door kicking our butts or dire parakeets kicking our butts. Later in, in the fight with Tarzan Boy, my elf chick kills three wyverns. But she had to run from a parakeet horde. It's genius, man. I mean, I, I would, I would happily sit and game at DM Chase's table any time because I do a thing with the mutant murder hobos in the post-apocalyptic campaign where each session I promise them they will see at least one thing they've never seen in an RPG before, and sounds like Chase does that for you guys. Yeah, I, I can maybe not every time, but I can honestly say this time I had never been attacked by a horde of dire parakeets. Nope. Or any kind of parakeet, Parakeets, for that really. matter. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Dire or otherwise. And, of course, the putty-tat jokes were going, mm. uh, but <laughs> we we killed that guy a lot. Although, the when he and the wizard were, uh, 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 Tim's wizard are wrestling on the deck, he's got the overbearing and grappling rules out. And, you know, of course, Tarzan Boy is all oiled. And so Wizard's trying to stab him, and he keeps slipping around him and everything. And this is like, you know, wow. Our wizard is going to try to kill this Tarzan guy in a oil wrestling contest. This is, <laughs> this is wrong. This is the best game report ever. <laughs> Wyverns, oh, we killed three of them in one round. The dire parakeets, we ran. We ran. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's like that Phineas Fingers cartoon where the, the Fred and Charlie are going, oh, thank God that little girl and the lion ran off right at the start because that tin golem and straw man were hard. Exactly. So that was what we've done. And for everyone listening, there may be a couple episodes coming out where Liz has to bail on us. And I can't wait to see the download numbers. <laughs> are you serious? Prove, prove them wrong. Listen to the show <laughs> anyway. Then they'll send in emails to complain about you not being there. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, you, you know, where I come from, in order to be considered uh, promotable, you have to first train your replacement. So I think it falls to you, Liz, to come up with a substitute host. Because I'm, I'm not cool with that. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we've already talked to Bad Mike about maybe, you know, coming in on a day when I'm not able to. Um, I know he's wanting to, you know, do some more talking about the upcoming north texas con so he could do that while he's there as well um, whenever we get around to talking about basic fantasy and the uh you know clones attack of the clones episode we'll have chris gonerman on uh, bad michael just rant and carry on and derail the conversation constantly he'd be a good substitute for me not you <laughs> <laughs> but he also looks damn good in a corset or at least that's what i've been told so ah. he could be my replacement in that regard I want to poke my brain out now. <laughs> <laughs> poke my mind's eye out. <laughs> so, Liz, do yes. we have any emails? Get down, get down. Get down, get down. The, the Save, Save or, or Die, die email, email hot, hot tub, tub time, time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week, I'll done it from a female. 
Oh, man! The following emails have been edited for length and content. Well, seeing as how this is an email episode, I no, we don't so. have any. Good. Yeah, this this joke is getting old now. Yeah, I promise, I, I won't that. do it anymore. I promise. Plus, okay, Kevin Long sends us be on the show. Plus, <laughs> Kevin Long sends us like five emails a week, so we know we got emails. <laughs> I tell you, DM Kojo needs to get off the off the bench and start uh, be sending stuff in again. He's getting dethroned here, at least as far as Save or Die is concerned. I don't know about the other podcast. Corey, you have been challenged. <laughs> da, da, da. Battle of the email: two email enter, one email leave. <laughs> We still just can't get beyond Thunderdome, I tell you. All righty. So, our first email is from Nick C. Nick! <laughs> hey, guys. Love the show. I'm listening from the earliest show to the most current show. I play White Box and Holmes Edition D&D. Woohoo! My first D&D game was in 1985, and we used the Red Box Edition. Cheers, Nick C. Started oh, but went back in time. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Nothing. Yeah, nothing wrong with Mentzer, but you know, it's cool. Uh, I'm ju- I'm just glad to hear that he plays White Box and Holmes. And Holmes. They do kind of go together. Well, oh, that's yeah. how I always play it anyway. <laughs> I just sort of mesh them all. <laughs> so good to hear from you, Nick. Glad you're enjoying the show. Our next email is from Michael Ferlinetto. Michael! That's going to get old fast, too. I'm starting to rethink this plan. (laughs) For all listening, it's Jim's idea. (laughs) So, Michael writes, Greetings, Sodcasters. First, thanks for a very enjoyable show. My first RPG was the Holmes Basics set. There you go. Liz loves you automatically. That's right. You're my new favorite. (laughs) And so, not only does your show provide some great inspiration and advice, but it also brings some serious nostalgia. Now for the question. I am planning to start a Greyhawk campaign in which one of the major themes will be the gradual loss of magic from the world. (laughs) To emulate that with the mechanics, I was thinking about having the PCs travel through time and use the mechanical differences between game editions to change their power levels. I could use some expert advice, though, on how the different editions line up, as well as the campaign. Thanks a lot. DM, neither good nor bad. True neutral? Mike! (laughs) I like neutral Mike. (laughs) Though, um, one of the new members in our gaming group, uh, Ray, mentioned that I should be chaotic Mike instead of good Mike, which I kind of like that. Chaos is good. Yeah, I'm still thinking it over. But anyway, thanks for the email. I mean, you'd have to constantly re, basically rewrite the characters. I mean, you know, when you're going from D and D to Taco A D and D, it's probably not going to require much. But starting with third edition, I think it would get a lot crunchier as far as because you've got a lot more skills and feed options to have to plug in. DM Todd at Gateway Games actually did this a couple years ago with the Retro D&D League. That was what it was founded to do. They played, uh, they got a group together and played a continuous campaign that used every single edition and campaign setting of D&D that was out at the time. I wow. Think, I think the MacGuffin was that they were trying to collect the rod of seven parts and the 
individual parts had been scattered to different dimensions rather than time. And that's what they did. When when the characters segued from one system to the other, they just rewrote that character on the fly, and that's how you appeared in the new dimension under the new game mechanics. Okay. In your opinion, then, which systems, I guess, would be, you know, best suited for you know, the time period where there's more magic and which ones for where there's less. That's interesting. I mean, the... the or were, most... you, were you that informed of what he was doing or just... I, I wrote an article. I interviewed him for it. Actually, it's oh, how I, okay. I met DM Tom to be, Todd to begin with and uh, that uh, I wrote an article that never got published in Gagax Magazine about it, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not bitter. And uh, <laughs> post on the Saver Die page. They uh, that since their intention originally was to go through the systems in chronological order, but once they got up to A D and D, they fanned out into like Ravenloft and things like that. But uh, O D and D, Little Brown Books, being the most open magic system, where you know things are, you talk you talk the judge into doing stuff that's not yet defined in the rules it would seem like the older systems would be more full of magic although i don't know if you if you if you play it up to fourth edition suddenly everybody's got these crazy at will powers and can heal every round on the other hand i think they were a lot more open to the idea of reversible spells back in the in the classic D time that, that's true so, well, so like you know we were I, talking about I guess it was the last episode or maybe the episode before last. I think it was last episode when we were talking about our experience playing the fifth edition and how we felt there was that power creep problem, you know, where we were playing first level characters, but we felt like we were more powerful. Back in our original A D D campaign that my brother ran, he we got he he uh for those of you that have read the Myth Adventure series, he he based his initial campaign on another fine myth. And we got our hands on a D-hopper, and Woo-hoo. my brother was insane. He created this system for himself of house rules to determine all the specifications of the various dimensions, and we just started dimension hopping as part of our campaign. And and the amount of magic that was present in a world or a dimension was part of that. And when we got to Earth, we showed up at Stonehenge in the 20th century, and there were no ley lines, and we were out of magic. Spells just didn't work. That's when my magic user invested in a forty-five. <laughs> Wand of magic missiles. Yeah. Remember when we had all that extra time to do stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't know if that helped, but I think um, in, in general, it's probably going to be... I, I tend to think that the newer the addition, the more power a starting character would have. But I don't know about getting up, you know, in the mid to high levels. Well, I th- I think... I think with the later editions, you know, a lot of the, you know, caps for spells and stuff had been eliminated. And like, you know, we were talking about earlier, the healing surges that you just do not have access to in the earlier editions. It's it's harder to heal people with magic. And so, yeah, my, well, yeah. my first, my first off-the-cuff thing would be start with the later editions and slowly go backwards and you'd have uh, you'd have considerable power cut off as you went backwards. Although in two E, they capped spells like magic missile and stuff at tenth level. Mm-hmm. So, which they did not have in classic or AD and D one E. 
Which do you think would be more powerful or less powerful? The later version of Fireball, where you know for a fact that it stops at, you know, 20 feet, 20 yards, whatever. Mm. And the earlier versions of Fireball where it just filled up, you know, your volume to a certain extent and you had to actually do math to figure out, am I going to have enough space to cast this spell or is it going to backblast on me and burn me up? I would think potentially you would actually catch more people potent, you know, in that in that Fireball than the just the 20-foot radius one. So in that instance, you know, Fireball could be more dangerous. Hmm. Yeah. In and the and or kill more enemies depending on how many you're facing and where you're facing them at. Say in a 10 by 10 room with a dragon on a pile of gold and jewels. As you usually find them. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Gold and jewels. Um, <laughs> I've had enough time to think about this. I can tell DM Mike exactly what I would do if it were me. I don't know if that's, that's going to be good or bad advice. If it was me, I would give the players a big giant speech at the beginning of the campaign about how each one of these new worlds and time zones is going to have fluctuating levels of magic, get them good and paranoid about it, and then completely forget about it and just run the rule mechanics as written. And then listen to them as they go to the different dimensions, and the players themselves will suggest, oh, I wonder if this will happen or happen, and you can mess with things if you want. Yeah. And listen to them speculate and go, oh, that's a good idea. I think I'll actually do that. <laughs> Considering these emails come from what, mid to late November? Yeah. If he, you, he may have already started. It's like, yeah. I'm never going to get this answer from them. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. <laughs> so hope it works and uh, you know, write us and let, it know, let us know how it works, particularly when it involves classic D&D. All right. Our next email is from Chuck Bushman. Chuck! Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> um, hello there, sod DMs. I have noticed there are some amazing miniatures out there. However, I don't want the tactics of fighting and the position of characters to bog down the game like the edition that shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> so, my question is, how do you guys use miniatures, both now and in the past? Have you used non-D&D miniatures? I know that this is where the Owlbear and the Rust Monster originally came from. Chuck. Yes, I have used non-D&D miniatures. Basically, whatever would work at the time. Heck, at time, we used dice or lasers <laughs> or stuff, you know. I mean, if Galactus is going to show up to eat the dungeon and there's a Galactus hero clicks sitting there in the store anyway, you might as well use it, right? Might as yeah. well. <laughs> Back in the day, especially when I first started gaming with the Delta Area War Gamers, miniatures was actually a lot more tactical. When we were doing the Judges Guild adventure, Frontier Forts of Kelnor, those were always very miniature tactical set out. But for most of the time... I'd say half the time we've used minis just to figure out marching, marching order? order. Yeah. I'd say, well, in the past, I really didn't use minis because I was never able to afford to buy them. So I didn't start collecting minis until I was maybe in my early 20s. I would pick up the occasional female mini that I thought would look like one of my characters. You um, mean female? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go well, ahead, dear. 
Hey, it was about that time that the Julie Guthrie there you um, go. sculpts started coming mm-hmm. out, and that was quite honestly the first time I ever started seeing female miniatures that actually looked like women and that I was willing to pay money for to buy, you know, and not just a guy with breasts. Or um, a pole dancer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, with with the the Guthrie line coming out, um, those were the first minis that I started buying. And, you know, I'd occasionally, you know, I'd get a, a female fighter or a little female halfling, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, when I was really young and playing, you know, I didn't use minis at all. And now... Mike and I probably tend to use them pretty much the same way. Um, marching order, and apart from that, say if there's an encounter and a group of some kind of monster or whatever, you know, comes on the party, you know, then I'll, you know, maybe get out the minis and say, okay, and here are here are the orcs, ba 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 ba, and it helps all of us figure out. Okay, well, out of the eight orcs, we've killed five of them. There are still three left. You know that kind of thing, rather than everyone having to constantly ask. Okay, how many orcs are there still? <laughs> or if you're like at the grand, you know, major point of a campaign or adventure, and it's like, okay, here's the wizards or the evil temple. The evil priest is up here getting ready to enact the MacGuffin in three round, you know, in five rounds. And here are his guards, and here are you now, you know. And it doesn't need to be truly tactical. It just gives you an idea of where people are generally. One thing I would suggest to avoid the tacticalisms of it: put miniatures out, but don't use a hex or square grid, and don't measure. Just say, okay, you move, you make it about here, or you're approximately here. Because once you see those grids and, and hexes, I think it really gets people thinking, okay, I can move exactly from here to here, and my facing thus would be exactly like this. And I think you'd just be giving, a lot, giving yourself a lot of headache. Yeah, I generally don't use grid maps. You know, it's just the tabletop. You know, mm-hmm. here are you guys, here are your opponents, you know, now go to town. <laughs> I've actually come 180 degrees around on this because as a young man, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so I was able to afford miniatures as soon as I started playing. Mm -hmm. And uh, being an artist, I collected them and painted them like mad, and I just got obsessive about it. My my goal was to have this giant box that I would drag around to games, and whatever monster my brother named from the monster manual, I just refer to the box, and there it is. I mean, to the extent that I can remember when we were playing, we were chasing this guy and come around a corner in a field, and he's got 200 orcs on us. And I, we were able to field that as miniatures. We had to push three tables together to do it. But it, <laughs> it looked, I, did, I didn't even, I was so young then, I didn't know what chainmail was. But it looked more like chainmail than it did AD&D. <sighs> but I don't have to afford to do that. It looks great. Yeah. So I went from that until about four years ago uh when tim cast first started running uh an odnd campaign here locally in cincinnati uh i got all wound up about it i made little brown books that had just the spells for magic users and clerics to show up at the game and give people and i was very proud that i had uh gotten my hands on ebay on this old wizards and warriors grenadier box set of player characters from, bo- from before they had the ad and d license i i owned those as a younger man but i'd just gotten a 
brand new pristine set, and, and I'm right on Facebook with it. Look, Tim, we can play with these. And he's like, ah, I don't use miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Tim being Tim, I just snapped a salute and said, yes, sir. But I talked to him about it later, and his theory on this is that the miniatures detract from the theater of the mind experience of role-playing to begin with. And this was all before I discovered Dungeon Crawl Classics. Then I got into that and discovered that that game, you know, you can if you want to, but it de-emphasizes the whole tactical miniature things of it. And uh, I've gotten 100% comfortable now with where we're playing. If there's any, I mean, there's always some element of tactics involved, even if it's just marching order. I just throw down a piece of notebook paper with my pencil and go, whip, 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 whip. Okay, that's where everybody is. Who do you attack? And and it my players all play Pathfinder and they're obsessive about their little plastic minis, so they seem to be able to game comfortably both ways and still have a good time. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, between us, Liz and I probably have between fifteen hundred and two thousand minis. I've got, you got three a bunch of yours from Chris. Yeah, dude, I've got a Gamma World Grenadier miniature collection that would blow your mind, but right. I don't. Yeah. But I don't use them anymore. I had a friend of mine who uh, was having some financial troubles. And so he, you know, he he didn't want to ask for help. He wanted to sell stuff. So he sold me a bunch of his minis. And it's like, we got that. We've got three sets of Dwarven Forge Master Maze, none Ooh. of which I actually paid real money for, um, which are great. But, yeah, they're, they're expensive. Um, and they are very bulky to carry, bulky around to carry around to conventions yeah. and stuff. I, I think say, I bought one of the trap sets I actually paid full price for. But I was going to say, anyway, Stefan paid me in trade once, and I've got like six sets of a sci-fi miniature terrain in my closet. Oh, sweet. If, if you want a set, I'll send it to you. <laughs> oh, wow. We'll talk after the show, because I would like to, because I actually use it more for my solo wargaming, all things zombie then and I because that was the point I was going to get to. We have all these. I can't remember the last time we used D and D minis in a game. So it like was, when you when you guys play with DM Chase, no minis. Nope. No, there there really aren't any minis. Nope. At most, he'll draw something out on a piece of paper, much like you said. And yeah, okay, y'all are roughly here, and this is yeah. Or da-da-da. he'll have he's got one of those big um, battle mats where you can do the dry erase marker on, and not always, but sometimes he will. You know, bring that out and, you know, just draw, you know, say a, a part of a complex. You know, if it's something that's really, really intricate that we, you know, need to keep in mind of where stuff is, you know, okay, you know, here's this hexagonal room and you've got a doorway here and here and here and here. And then there's something up here and blah, 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 blah. And things are coming at you. And, but yeah, very rarely will he even use that. Oh, hmm. Chuck. If you want to use miniatures and you're playing classic D&D, though, I've got your hookup. If you don't already know about these guys, there's a company in Great Britain called Otherworld Miniatures. We'll put the oh, yeah. link in the show notes. And their miniatures are ripped from the AD&D Monster Manual illustrations. <laughs> no, no, they're homages. <laughs> well, they're in England where they can't get sued. Yeah. So. Yeah, where they have common sense copyright laws. <laughs> Oh, but that does remind me. Um, you know, I said I didn't really get any minis until in my 20s. I take that back one year as a gift from my parents because they bought me a lot of my D&D stuff when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, you know, Christmas, birthday. Um, I got a box of... Heritage? Um, yeah, one of the Heritage boxes. I think it was Dungeons of Doom, Caverns of Doom. Caverns of Doom, yeah. Yeah, I got that box... And it came with like, you know, six or eight minis and a little bitty set of paints and a paintbrush 
and you you had everything you needed to you had the minis and, and you could paint and play. And I had a little map and even a little very basic role playing game in there. Yeah, dungeon crawl um, game. So, so I take that back. I did get that one box when I was very young, and I tried painting them. And as a thirteen year old, you know, trying <laughs> paint minis who had never painted them before, they can't, they turned out really bad. They're, they're bad. Just, I've been reading Designers and Dragons. I found out that Heritage originally created those paint-and-play sets as a way to get rid of their Lord of the Rings line figures because they had lost the <laughs> – Heritage had lost the license. Well, depends so. on which set you mean because the Dungeon Dwellers, if you'll notice, those were all sculpted just like the characters in the Monster Manual too because uh, – Good old Uncle Duke was talking to Gary, and they damn near got the AD and D license before. Oh yeah, Heritage. Duke Siegfried. Yeah, yeah. they yeah, thought they, I, they they thought they had it enough to start doing some sculpts and and yeah, and they had like a box for each level of the dungeon. I think went down to level six or something. I love stuff like that. There are some old those old wizard and warrior miniatures. You can pick one up and go, wait a minute, that's a yellow Martian because Grenadier was going to do a John Carter Mars line and then didn't get the license. Yeah. So, Liz, did you tell that story so that when your parents listen to the podcast, their feelings won't be hurt? <laughs> when? Yeah, yeah. Like, my parents listen to any of these. <laughs> when? Not if, when. Anyway, <laughs> hope this helped, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get – wrench ourselves back on track. On track here. Yeah, I don't think our problem is we get too many emails to keep up with them. I think our, our lengthy we answers are – too much. Yeah. Nah, that can't be it. So, anyway. Anyway, okay. Special hello to Michael Curtis, who told me once, as soon as he sees it's an email show, he doesn't listen. Hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next email is from Sam Clark. Sam! Sam. <laughs> Hi, guys. Finally got around to listening to the Gazapalooza on Caramicos you did back in episode 88. Here we go. I really enjoyed it as I own it but have never used it. So it was interesting to hear what you all thought of it. So my question is, when will you move on to the others in the series? <laughs> or have you decided to not return to the Gaz series? <laughs> Thanks. DM Sam, London, England. Okay, all together now. Next episode, Next episode. we <laughs> promise. Yes. It, 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 it was going to be this episode and then... Things happened, and people were blamed, and, well, we, it became an email episode instead. We're still keeping our uh, you know, episode 105, will be Gazapalooza 2, Emirates of Alarum, So if I'm pronouncing that right. So, we postponed it one keep more. Keep an eye out. We postponed <laughs> it one more time because, you know, reasons. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> stuff. I, I put my foot down and said, no, we have to do emails. I'm halfway through it, and uh, unless it gets really unpleasant later on. I think I'm going to like it better than I did Caramigos, but we'll see. <laughs> Spoilers, there's a big old something in the middle of every page. <laughs> I was saying, and considering it's bargalus, that's a bold statement. Yeah. All right. So, yes, Sam, just wait until our next episode. Almost we will, practically. We will there. be coming back to the gas to the gazetteers. And then we've already got set up X5, Temple of Death, coming Error. after that. So, <laughs> Not immediately, but pretty close. All right. Well, hopefully we were able to set your mind at ease. Our next email is from Nathan Bouvier. Nathan! 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 
Greetings once again, Sodders. I just finished listening to episode 100, and it got me thinking. And I do believe that the WGP family of podcasts, especially Save, for, Save or Die and Roll for Initiative, helped me get back into gaming. Hey, me too. <laughs> Excellent. Around 2008 or 2009, I had discovered all my old Dungeons & Dragons books in my parents' basement, mainly second edition stuff including my Mincer Red Box I had bought at a lawn sale in 1989 or so. Darn I, started... I was going to shout Taco, but then he mentioned Mincer. So. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. I started rereading some stuff, realized I could complete my collection, and really wanted to play again. I hadn't done any role-playing since college, graduate in 2001, and that was more World of Darkness games than D&D. A few years later, I was able to finally convince my then-girlfriend, now soon-to-be wife, to read the solo adventure in the Mincer box, and then ran her through a solo, and we've been playing since. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, I began listening to podcasts, and the first ones I looked for were D&D-related, and I came across yours, which, needless to say, fueled the fire even more. That's same here. That same campaign is still going on, with my cousin and her husband as regular players, and a few that have come and gone since as well. Your shows have helped give me ideas and let me know about new products out there. On top of that, I have a couple of items you can look at that I created. Please feel free to share these on the show, along with your comments or questions. And he presents us with a greater Thule or Thowl, depending on how you want to pronounce it. There is only and, Thule. <laughs> and a gnome race class. And we're going to be actually detailing those, Nathan, in our random encounter section of the next show. So, fear not, everyone. We will talk about Nathan's Thule and the gnome, gnome race class. Yes, Mike will reluctantly talk about the gnome. The gnome. <laughs> So until DM Jim disavows playing magic users, <laughs> make mine save or die. Nathan, <laughs> aka Boov on the OSR and Piazza forums. Well, I like Nathan. I insta like Nathan because he found a woman who'll play D and D and is going to marry her, which is the proper course. Yes, <laughs> congratulations, by the way. Yay! He rolled a nat twenty. Woohoo! Ah, well, I always like hearing the emails when that people write us talking about how we helped them get back into gaming, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like people who just started listening because they felt a little nostalgic and then getting the bug and finding people to be able to play the game again. That's that's just really really cool, I think. I love that. You guys Part did of what that. We're here for. You guys did that for me. I mean, three events happened simultaneously. I uh was uh, going through a period of uh freelancing, otherwise known as unemployment and decided to <laughs> decided to do the Marvin the Mage webcomic, uh renew my friendship with Tim Cask and got back into uh, D&D. And started listening to you guys, but way before I was on the show, like episodes in the 40s or 50s. Hmm. So thank you. You're very welcome. It's all your fault. (laughs) Ah, okay. Somehow we knew. (laughs) We just knew. It's like, we we do this, and then we'll get you on as a host as well. (laughs) And he gets to do all the web stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The best ever was meeting uh, 
you two and Glenn at that first North Texas con I got to come to because, you know, it's all well and fine on the internet talking over headsets, but you go through that little period of, okay, can now can we actually game together? And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, for those of who, who aren't necessarily sure, we're not doing this all in the same room. <laughs> Liz and I aren't even in the same room, but though we are in the same house. Recorded live at Sod Studios in Rockefeller Plaza. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, our next email is from Kevin Long. Kevin! <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> and he writes, Hi guys and Liz. I really enjoyed the last show, Save versus Death and Taxes. I have not made it all the way through B1. I have written some stuff, though. In one game, I made one of the paintings a living painting, so when the group saw the dragon and giant fighting, one of them touched it and became part of the picture. After not being able to figure out how to free him, they cut the picture, releasing him and the monsters. Oh, Time Lord technology. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway... He sends a second email almost immediately after this one. It says, hi, guys and Liz. Kevin Long, long-time listener, long-time writer. <laughs> but, yeah, this one was you know, like almost either the same day or the very next day. I forget which now. And he says, hi, guys and Liz. I don't know what happened, but Death and Taxes was not about B1. <laughs> However, I still stand by what I wrote. <laughs> there. This time, I am dying of laughter about everyone talking about Liz wearing a corset and thinking that everyone should do so. (laughs) There seems to be a common theme since Bad Mike played the devil. I have one corset, and I'm getting a second for the con coming up in January, where I am running B1. Kevin. Oh, my. (laughs) It's like, yes, corsets corsets for everyone. Medieval fantasy cross-dressing. We're here for you. Hey, That's right. I, I, I sense another set of events for North Texas. I, I keep telling Bad Mike he needs to show up for the victorious game. We can both be wearing corsets. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Corset not provided. <laughs> <laughs> he cannot borrow mine. Bad Mike needs to get his own. But yep. Oh, <laughs> come on. It would take three of your... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. But yes, both Death and Taxes and B1 are awesome adventures. <laughs> well, did we talk about them in the same episode and there was confusion? I, I don't remember now. I, I, I think rem- we may have mentioned it in passing because it was the kind of, you know, B1 being the oh, that, ultimate yeah, fill you in the blank. That, fill in the blank. one where we were talking about how the, you know, Aaron Smale and, you know, his group were doing the return to B1 stuff. Uh, B2. Uh, yeah, B2. Sorry, that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Well, I'll have to I mean, go back and listen to that again. The lesser known uh, adventure certainly rock as hard as B one and B two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hope that uh, <laughs> clarified things. <laughs> <laughs> Clear as mud. <laughs> and corsets for everyone. Hooray! Hooray! Our next email. Oh, that's it's- that's from now on. That's what we'll do when Kevin Long writes. Of course, it's. Kevin Long's email. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. All right, all right. Settle down, everyone. Our next email is from Dell. Dell! Dell! Now we have an echo effect. This is pretty cool. (laughs) I can fix that. (laughs) (laughs) And this is regarding episode 102. What a hidden gem this episode was. Aw. Being not exposed to Dragon or Strategic Review very frequently, Reed owned only a handful total, still do not own many, 
I read the comics, sure, but being a bit younger, 39 now, at the time a lot of the humor and reference went over my head. Yep, same here. Like I I remember saying on the show, you know, a lot of the things that I did not get at the time, rereading them, you know, as an adult is like, wow, that's funny. (laughs) There's stuff in Wormy I still don't get, but it's beautiful. (laughs) Anyway, he goes on to say, Needless to say, having you three discuss the comics, I'm grateful that you posted the links to several of them to catch up on. Thank Jim for that. Yes. I have also enjoyed Marvin the Mage. (laughs) Don't let Jim get too big of a head. And Order of the Stick. Order of the Stick. Yay. Even (laughs) though, having never played the newer editions, a lot of the reference there went over my head as well. Anyway, good times. I listen to all of the podcasts and enjoy them very much. Keep up the good work, Dell. You're welcome. Oh, thanks, yeah. Dell. Yeah, I mean, and it was a lot of fun to to go over the old comic strips. I'm I'm glad that he sent that email because I wasn't sure if a podcast about comics was going to work, <laughs> but that's exactly what I wanted to achieve with those show notes was just send younger viewers to that golden stuff that's online now for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and I think from, in general, the reaction on that episode was positive, so. Yeah, and I think, I also think part of it was because, you know, like Dell said, we had the links, so, you know, some of the people who may not have had an opportunity to read those old ones, you know, after hearing us talk about them, you know, you can go to the show notes, like, I can see these for myself now. It's like, oh, these are pretty cool. (laughs) Although Vile on one of the forums did take me a bit to task for not mentioning the White Dwarf comics from the 80s. There was a couple of threads I liked, but for the most part, I I think they were just excessively British humor, because some of it I'm just like, what? I I don't get it. I was thinking for a second, J.D. Webster did comics for them, too, but I'm confusing it with the Space Gamer. He did a lot of work also for Steve Jackson. Well, glad we could help, Del. Yeah. All righty. And so our next email is from Jen Martin. Jen! Jen! <laughs> Jen writes, hello, Sodcasters. I'm listening to episode 87. In this email time machine episode, (laughs) oh, wow, we are referencing an email time machine episode in In an an email email time time machine episode. episode. Recursive time loop. Watch it. This is awesome. (laughs) Man, I hate those. In this email time machine episode, (laughs) Mike mentioned that reverse spells are fast and loose in classic D&D. While I was at GaryCon last spring, I had direct experience with this. I was handed a pre-generated character that had been caught playing with fire as an adolescent, having burnt down part of the town. He was tried for arson, and as his sentence, he was apprenticed to the local wizard to learn how to be a magical firefighter. So, the wizard (laughs) taught him the reverse fire spells. Of course, this character also learned the reverse, reverse fire spells. (laughs) What would reverse fireball be? I wonder. <laughs> Snowball? <laughs> this whole email is a tesseract of information. <laughs> we got ourselves into a situation where we had to work with a white dragon to kill the ice witch. The dragon agreed to work with us because it was to his advantage, 
but he only promised us a 10 count for escape. <laughs> killed Why? before he attacked us. Why? Because he's a white dragon and that's how far he can count. <laughs> I'll give you a 10 count. One ten. <laughs> I always had trouble with sevens. I know. I'll start lower down. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to die. <laughs> Ten, nine, eight, six. <laughs> <laughs> My magic arsonist hadn't had the opportunity to do much more than magic missile the whole session. As the game played out, we came near the end of the dungeon and the time period allotted to us. My arsonist's last act of the game was to throw fireball into the room with the dragon run in and grab the teleporter out of the dungeon from his horde, grab my now-dying comrades on the way out of the room, and transport away before the ten count the dragon had promised. Epic ending to a four-hour session. Oh, dude, I have talked to this person. I remember hearing about this outside smoking last year. (laughs) I I will assume that the dying fellows were because they were in the room (laughs) the fireball got thrown into. My question to you, do you always try to create an interesting background for your characters? If so, how do you go about doing this? Do you try to give your character a flaw? Where do you usually find inspiration for your character backgrounds? Sincerely, Jen Martin. Well, if I'm role-playing him, he's already got some pretty good flaws. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can start that. Oh, <laughs> Drat! Tim Cask is so on to me. He's like, you just want to set everything on fire. I'm like, yep. <laughs> uh, I have because of the era I learned to play in. I've never been one of those who sits down and composes a story in advance. I did. I although Tim Cask is the guy I did it one time for when he started his OD and D campaign um, because he asked us to. Uh, I prefer to just let the character, all those details evolve through play in the game. Um, sometimes I'll uh, sort of, you know, set a pattern for myself with the name. For example, the uh, magic user I ran in Tim's campaign was named Pyrex because he was going to be a shake-and-bake mage and just focus <laughs> on fire and earth-based spells. But, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, you were orphaned at this age and grew up here and all this stuff. And I just like to make that stuff up on the fly as the game progresses, personally. Uh, depending depending on the the setting that I'm going to be gaming in, um, I'll try to, say, maybe pick a underdog-type race to play. Because I always think those are, you know, very interesting. So, say, if I'm in a campaign where everybody hates half-elves, you know, I'll go out of my way to pick a half-elf character because, you know, they're going to have, you know, some flaws and some, you know, things that are working against them that are great for role-playing opportunities if the DM wants to utilize them. Right on. I guess depending, well, say our current 2E game right now... um, I don't exactly have an interesting background for the character I'm using because, quite frankly, the character that I'd initially rolled up wound up dying and they were not able to bring her back. Um, the clerics that tried totally blew their their role. Or actually, no, I think it was my um, my system shock role 
um, was blown, and so I wasn't able to be brought back. And I wound up taking one of the NPC clerics that our DM had been using um, as someone who was helping out the party, and I just took over that character, and she became a permanent member of the group. So over the course of play, I tried to introduce some interesting things about her, but, you know, she started out as very basic and kind of, you know, there's nothing much of interest about her at all other than she's a cleric and she was obviously there to be support for the party if they got hurt. Because we had no cleric at the time. Yes, we had no cleric. <laughs> well, see, that, that that is one problem with the big character background. You know, you spend, mm-hmm. you stay up nights you know, making your new magic user the descendant of Drawmage from OD&D and investing all this time and effort. And then with four hit points, he steps out the door and gets killed. Yeah, you know, he, yep. he steps on a splinter, contracts tetanus, and dies. You know, well, there goes that whole campaign story arc. <laughs> or like that question on the OD&D guild on Yahoo groups. They had a debate over what couldn't kill a first-level magic user. <laughs> It was kind of hard to find stuff that couldn't kill him. I think he, people, we even figured crabgrass probably would kill him. But well, you know. if he had a really bad allergy yeah, and yeah. you know a low constitution. Yeah, know. classic D&D four hit points is maxed out. At first I level. know, yeah. and <laughs> that's you, a burly guy. <laughs> if you've got a low con and you're taking you know negatives to your hit point roll, you know you could start out with only a single hit point as you're you know going into the game, and you know someone sneezes dire, on you and, and <laughs> by a dire parakeet. Dire yeah, parakeet. <laughs> yeah. I've found it, it's usually easier when I make a character, especially in classic D&D, I think I've said this before, is give them like one little personality quirk. Like, uh, you know, Fernando, he had his big mustache. And then as he goes up in level, I start developing more personality and background because there's more chance he's going to make it from game to game. To avoid specifically what you were saying, Jim, the you know two hours worth of character background build and you know, fell in a pit trap. There he goes. Well, I mean, I if you want to talk, son of the seventh son, and I'm you know I have this secret that even I don't know about, but I'm going to be the nexus of you know this big campaign story arc, and then up oh, you're dead. Yep, you're <laughs> the nexus of those spikes at the bottom of the pit. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to start anything on the forums, but in just broad generalities, I think that's an old school mechanic is to not have a big background at the start. Because if you've invested that time, you naturally want that character to live and are naturally more upset when he suddenly dies, which in old school happens, you know, a lot. A lot. So now, I have played some games, and um, Mike is one of the main people that I've done this with, um, where. He would actually have a sheet of questions. You know, oh, yeah, the personal, persona worksheets. Yeah, the persona worksheets. Um, and um, they were basically for all of us as we were, you know, putting our characters together. You know, things for us to think about as far as, you know, a background for, you know, whoever we were playing. You know, did we have any siblings did we uh, always have siblings because those yeah. are going to be your next characters when that one dies. <laughs> yeah, did did we grow up in a city in a small village out in the middle of nowhere, you know, just things like that to think about and to decide, you know, 
my character has this kind of personality because she grew up in the middle of nowhere and didn't really spend a lot of time with a bunch of people. So that's you why have she has a skills. <laughs> that's why she has a charisma of six because she just doesn't have people skills. You know that kind of thing. Um, that sounds so, really cool, and I don't want to sound like I'm coming out against any of that because that's all fine. Yeah, and, but a lot of things will happen in games that will allow you to extrapolate more just on the fly. I mean, my elf character, she was, you know, all I had in mind for her is she was a high elf, she was getting bored with the whole tree thing, so went out to find new things. And then one of the things that ends up happening to her, she's turned into a wood elf. And now I've expanded that into, you know, her having to deal with the high elf disdain for other elvish races and, you know, how that's going to be reflected in her personality, and that helps me develop her more. But of course, she's ninth level now too, so you know. That but see, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, 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 a sentient gorilla in my campaign uh, got uh, killed by uh, spider goats, and all on his when they brought they man they had a tech way to bring him back to life, and from that point forward, uh, Marcos played that guy with a you know PTSD over anything that was spidery, and he just did that <laughs> all on his own. Mm-hmm. Now I guess ours will be parakeets, but <laughs> that's right. Yeah, doors and birds. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, inspiration. You know, the game itself can be an inspiration as things play out, and that's the other advantage to not having a lot of background done ahead of time. You can actually play off those things. Whereas if you've detailed to the nth degree and given it to the DM, and now it's like, well, no, I suddenly decided that I really don't like halflings. Well, that's not on your character sheet. So your character sheet says you were raised by halflings and you love them. <laughs> Patrick. Patrick, yes. <laughs> so, uh, anything else for next email? Huh? Next email. Hope that helped, Jen. <laughs> okay. And our next email is from Corbett from the Gagman podcast. Hey, that guy. That guy owes me money. <laughs> yeah. So. Corbett, 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 Corbett. <laughs> writes to Mad Dog Mike and his Sod Squad. Okay, I like that. The Mod Squad music is going right here. Just, <laughs> I don't care who else gets it. <laughs> you have been getting way too many letters of praise, so I decided to send you a little hate mail. <laughs> so buckle Whoa. up and get ready for my seething hate. <laughs> How so? Very dare you. Everybody buckle their sphincters. Arg. Arg. He, he actually wrote that. Arg. Arg. I am so figuratively boiling <laughs> over with anger at the Save or Die podcast right at this moment because you have kept the dragon scale of judging products. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, it may not sound like much, but I assure you that you are causing the downfall of all civilized culture in the world. Your so-called show is based on the nostalgia of the original games, and yet your rating system is clearly used more for the game mechanics and looks of the product. I guarantee you, Corbett, I never consider the looks of a product. <laughs> Liz, you're acting the crap out of that email. Oh, Good oh, job. I love Corbett. <laughs> My absolute outrage can only be curbed by simply adding in a second rating. One that will show the connection to the bygone game. Because if something irritates me, twice as much as something won't. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> 
a rating that you as a group could explore hidden depths to find these quality gems. A dungeon, one might say. You could still use the dragon rating to measure the playability and presentation of the product, and then the dungeon rating could focus on the wistfulness that most people are looking for. I am sure Mike is thinking, that would be dumb. Wouldn't all the original products be guaranteed five dungeons? Not the gazetteers. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And to that I say, bah! Bah! Yes, I said it. The rating system is already biased based on each host's personal choices. So even if you were to review Holmes' blue book, Liz will give it a five because it was her first book. Mike may only give it a four since the brown book or stone tablet set was his (laughs) first one. (laughs) Yeah, those are tough to carry to cons, let me tell you. (laughs) And the DM screens, wow. (laughs) Also... How cool would it be to have a Dungeon and Dragon rating? Or you could always measure everything in Gygax units that range from 0 to 9,000. <laughs> hey, if any game ever goes over that scale, the judging host can shout out, That game is over 9,000! It's impossible! Little Dragon Ball Z reference there for those of you who may not watch the show. Uh, (laughs) Over my head. (laughs) Yeah, me too. All right. My angry letter is over. Everyone can calm down now. May the next dragon you fight be standing on a dire mimic disguised as a pile of treasure. Corbett, Gagman Podcast. Wow. Thank you, Corbett. Wait, and he says, P.S., seriously, it's not a porn site, so quit asking us. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly! Well, for, uh, you know, readability and organization, I give this email an easy four dragons. But for wistfulness, I'm going to go with 4.5 dungeons. Because it reminds me of the insane out-on-a-limb letters that used to be in Dragon Magazine. Mm. Wow. Whereas I'm going to give it a four on dragons particularly because of the effective use of Ba and Arg, <laughs> I will only give it a two dungeons because it, it brings very little nostalgia to me because I don't know <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. And I'm going to give this letter a 9,000 Gygax unit. That's impossible! <laughs> and what's this? A cease and desist from Wizards of the Coast for use of Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> from Funimation for talking about Dragon Ball Z. Z. (laughs) But hey! (laughs) And Harmony Gold just cuz. Just cuz. They didn't want to be left out. That's right. I can't really see any harm in taunting Wizards of the Coast for comedic effect because I don't think they listen to this podcast. Yeah, they probably don't. And if they did, they certainly wouldn't want to admit it. (laughs) But Corbett does, and thank you, Corbett, for that. Yes, thank you. (laughs) You shall have to ponder the use of the dungeon rating. And it'll be fitting since up 105 will be Gazapalooza. Woohoo! And we can upset Gazetteer fans again, maybe. 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 Just maybe. I, I have to backtrack a second and apologize. Uh, I just noticed, I got online and noticed that Corbett's uh, funds cleared through our PayPal account. So we should be sure and tell everyone to please listen to the Gagman podcast. It's wonderful. Absolutely. 
and and give it over nine thousand Gygax units when you rate it. Yes, right in, because <laughs> sure it tell them. is worth it. Go to go to iTunes and put that in right now. Yes, this podcast is over nine thousand. That's impossible. <laughs> Thank you, Corbett. We love you. Thank you, Corbett. And next email. That that is our last email. It is. We saved the best for last with Corbett. And that wow. brings us up to 2015. We have made it into the current year, finally. <laughs> and we could very well catch ourselves up totally with the emails for Up 105. Well, let, let's not get crazy here, Mike. Well, I'm saying we could. I'm, you know, <laughs> let's be careful here. We let's could go. cover all the gazetteers. All at once? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Well, I'm... I'm theoretically that's kind of the goal eventually. I mean, there's 13 of them. Um, yeah, but not at the same time, right? Well, no. So oh, at have like this, an eight-hour show. Our, at our present rate of podcast progress, I calculate I'll be on Social Security when we finish up. We may all be on Social Security when we finish up. Everybody, li- who and the five people who are still listening are going, "What's a gazetteer?" I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the email bag is done, and if you want to send in an email and keep us from catching up, where would they send an email, DM Liz? Vince See, Florio. <laughs> Vince, Vincent Florio at – no, sorry. We love you, Vince. <laughs> um, Save or Die podcast, I don't know. At gmail.com. <laughs> See, you had it. <laughs> I've got it. I have it already plugged into my account, so I just sort of hit the button and it goes there. See, I should have just asked Jim. Jim could have. Like, I don't know, and I certainly don't know the phone number, so don't ask me that well, either. No, the phone number, which is 940 She read all the emails and organized them and edited them and put up with our constant interruptions. I think she did her job. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll, we'll let that one thing slide. Well, thank you. You'll get a five dungeons for for that. (laughs) And we're heading down the dusty road, possibly to five dungeons or to a court case from a cease and desist. But how are we heading down this road, Jim? I am uh, writing on my next adventure to be published, and I have just created a table in it that will allow you to roll for 1d9 times 1,000 Gygax units. Ooh... And how about you, Liz? Well, um, I'm going down the road and I'm filling out a a character background sheet to figure out what my what my next character's motivation is going to be. Hmm. Well, I am going down the road being assisted by my reverse of unseen servant, which I guess is a seen servant. <laughs> <laughs> And trying to figure out what the reverse of plenty other spells are. <laughs> what about the reverse reverse of a spell? Ooh, that could be a, the reverse the reverse r- of create food and drink. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It'd be like carbonated. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see you at episode 105, where we honestly will cover Gazetteer number two. <laughs> we promise. Honestly. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya. Bree arc. Or yark Bree. Reverse. <laughs> anyway. And we're out. Yay.
I think, that, I think that would be Carreb, but <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> Have you actually played Fifth Edition? No. Yeah. So yeah, how- we played it at the um, the bachelor party for our DM. That's Chase. right. It's the only edition I haven't played yet, and they keep inviting me. I just don't have time right now. So, how's that advantage disadvantage mechanic working for you? Uh, that's not so bad, actually. I thought that was kind of neat. You know, rolling two die instead of one and picking the better or the worse, depending on whether it's advantage or disadvantages. The only, I mean, I'll. It's not a system I would run myself, and I don't know how it would work as a campaign, but as a one-shot at a con or a game store or something, yeah, I'll play.